title of my talk today is um, Lessons from Abraham. Uh, let's have a look in Genesis 12 to start off. I want to mainly just talk about this great man in the Bible. You can almost say there would be no Bible without Abraham. It's pretty well the whole story of the Old Testament is connected to Abraham. And then when you come to the New Testament, immediately, again, there's mention of Abraham. Jesus talked about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And then later on in the epistles, right through, there's constant reference to this particular man. But I want to look at um, maybe both sides of, of this man because he wasn't always a man of faith. There was a time when he did something in fear and got into trouble for doing it in fear. Maybe we look back on our own lives and, you know, when we walk by faith, we've got the blessing of the Lord. But now again, fear can creep in. And by the way, when you've got fear, you haven't got faith. They're the opposites. So fear drives out faith, but faith drives out fear and um, walking with the Lord. So Abraham was not always perfect and like it's good that he wasn't because otherwise you'd ne maybe never be able to relate to him because he'd be sort of so perfect you'd think, well, I could never be an Abraham. But anyway, let's look at the perfect side first and we just pick it up in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said, as his name was, Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing, and I'll bless him that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. So he has a uh, uh, calling. Maybe like David used to say later on, well, you know, why did you pick our family? You know, our family is the least in the whole house of Judah, and, you, and yet you picked on me, sort of thing. And Abraham really could have maybe had those thoughts that they'd eventually originally come from Ur of the Chaldee, but then they'd come from Syria, Haran up in Syria and come due south almost. And uh, he started to walk throughout the land we now called Israel or Palestine. And just remember that particular time, it was not called Israel because Israel had not even been born. And that was his, going to be his grandson, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And there were no children of Israel. Sort of a little bit hard for us to imagine that Abraham and Sarah and his family, just a little group of people wandering through the land of Canaan, as it was known, rightly so, because it was mainly descendants of the tribe of Ham who were in that region, the Canaanites and the Philistines, and many of the, those people were not only related back to Noah and beyond then not, not related. So these people that had come down through that line, and they mainly occupied that land. So Abraham, as a stranger, starts to wander throughout that land. We've got this great promise where God said, one day you're going to be the father of a multitude of people, nation, great nation, your name will be great. And of course, we do connect that to modern nations such as Britain and America and so on. I'm not talking about that particularly today. But here we just see Abraham. The great thing was that the moment God made that promise, we know that he believed it. And um, let's have a look in uh, chapter 13 and just in verse 8. Just sort of grab some of the stories. This was when Abraham was looking after his nephew, Lot, 
and uh, they both grew into sort of quite substantial homes and had a lot of servants and a lot of animals and they were prospering in the land that uh, they become strangers or started off as strangers in and there was strife that's just here between the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot. The reason I'm reading this story, it really shows up the strength of Abraham and even though Lot was a godly man, it shows up the weakness really of Lot and um, just says there in verse 8 of chapter 13, And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren, or we're family. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he was consumed with the lust of the eyes. Well, it doesn't say that, but that's what happened. And he beheld all the plain of Jordan. There was well watered everywhere, River Jordan. And before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and even as the garden of the Lord of the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor, like all the banks of the river Nile. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom, which was not a good move. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Not just sinners, but exceedingly so. And of course, we get the whole story of sodomy that comes from that. So, when you think of that, that Abraham was looking after and had sort of helped bring up his nephew, you mostly would have thought that Lot should have come back and me and said, no, 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 I'm not making choice. You take whatever you want to take, and I'll take what's left, because you're Abraham, and you, you've been good to me. You've looked after me, and but he didn't, did he? He looked around and thought, what's good for me? He, his choice, as it turned out, was a very bad choice when he went down to autumn. But Abraham, just that, that was typical of the man. He could have sort of said, well, look, I'm your uncle. Um, I'll mostly take what I want to take and you can have what's left. And really Lot could not have argued with that because that's maybe normally how it would have been. But no, he didn't. He said, no, you, you have first choice and whatever's left. Why was Abel, Abraham able to do that? Because he trusted in God and he believed God, didn't matter where he was, that God would bless him. Whereas Lot was not thinking that way at all at that time and he was looking after what was best he thought was best for him. Just there in chapter 14, and just pick it up in verse 17. <clears throat> so what actually happened is that Lot got into trouble and he got captured and Abraham had to come and rescue him. And we'll just read a bit of that. Um, when he had rescued people from the city of Sodom along with Lot, the king of verse 7 and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, another amazing part of this story, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, Abraham as he still was, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. That's Abraham 
of of the spoil he gave to this man Melchizedek a, a, a tenth. And the king of I will come back to Melchizedek in a minute. The king of Sodom and said unto Abraham, Give me thy persons, the, give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I will lift up my hand. I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from thee from a thread even to a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abraham rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me and list a little bit there. So it's interesting how we just saw how Lot was hungry to get the valley, which looks so much better than the mountains. of. If you've ever seen the mountains of Judea, you can see why he made that choice. They're very barren. But here we see, here's an opportunity, this little word called greed. You know, here's a chance. You know, and again Abraham could have justified, well, you wouldn't have any of this if I hadn't have gone out and fought against this guy, Chedaloma, and rescued the people and, and took spoil. Surely he could have argued even the other way if the, if the king of Sodom had said, you know, well, we want everything back. He said, no, hang on a second. You know, I risk my life and my men do that and we, we should have the lion's share. It was the opposite. He said, I don't want anything, nothing at all, not, not even a shoe latchet, nothing at all. Why? Because he trusted in God. And it's amazing that it happened to be, he didn't know at that time what was going to happen to Sodom and Gomorrah but it was a very good choice that he was not indebted to the king of Sodom, who was a king over a very corrupt city, and so on. So he knocked it back and said no, and God would have been watching that. God would have been aware of that. I think all of us maybe at times in our life, there is this little thing called greed comes in and it blurs our judgment. Sort of, uh, We sort of want to grab the spoil, as the saying might go. We sort of want to benefit somebody maybe a little more than what we should. And it's because of this word greed. And if we do it, it usually catches us out. He didn't do it. He knocked it back. And then we see God rewarded him in the words in chapter 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. He said, You will not miss out. I will give you reward beyond your wildest dreams. So um, you trusted in me and I recognize that. Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? That was what he's mainly concerned about. And we know it goes right through to the story of Isaac. And he often wanted to take a bit of a shortcut through his servant. God said no. Later on through Hagar's uh, son Ishmael, again the Lord said no. You're going to have a child of promise through your own wife, Sarah. Um, let's go to chapter 17, where God reaffirms the promise we first read back in chapter 12. And when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect, or blameless, as the word means. And I'll make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall any name, uh, thy name any more be called Abraham, 
but thou shalt be called Abraham. For of a father, which it, this is what it means, for a father of many nations have I made thee. I will make thee exceeding fruitful. You know, there's two lines from Abraham. There's the natural line, the nations as it taught. There's also the seed as it refers to the New Testament, which of course through King David is to Jesus Christ. This is a double blessing. There's all the natural, national blessing then and right through to now. But also there's, in a sense, the more wonderful one for every one of us, and that is the line of Judah, the line of King David through to Jesus Christ, and that was the ultimate seed that came through Abraham. So really everything, when you look at it, goes back to that. But I have just forgotten something, haven't I? I said I wanted to talk about uh, Melchizedek. Let's go to the New Testament. Have a little look at this guy, Melchizedek. It's in Hebrews and um, chapter 6. New, New Testament, Hebrews chapter 6. And all of a sudden it brings up that teeny little story. Well, it was only about three verses, wasn't it? wasn't hardly anything on it. But here he comes back from fighting the war and he meets this unusual person, this high priest. Now, the priests in the Bible of the Old Testament were later on of the tribe of Levi. But the tribe of Levi doesn't exist at this point because Isaac hasn't even been born, let alone Jacob and his 12 sons, and one of those was Levi, and that became the Levitical priesthood. So we're way before that. But also there is a priest there, not of the, not of the line of Levi, and later on that's an important point because that was not a perfect line. And Jesus could not come after an imperfect line of Levi. Levi, who, as we know, uh, the first high priest of the tribe of Levi was Aaron, and he made a golden calf. So Jesus didn't particularly want to descend from that line. But here we just see in chapter 6, it says, um, verse 17 will go, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show under the heirs of the promise, these ones we read about, to, to Abraham and his descendants, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable, immutable things, one being the promise, the other being the oath, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation or comfort who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, at which entereth into that which is within the veil. There's so much you could talk on here. I haven't got time to stop there today. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever, not after the line of Levi, but after the order of Melchizedek. So all of a sudden this teeny little story from the Old Testament jumps into the New Testament. doesn't get, give any great ex, exclamation explanation in the Old Testament, other than the prophecy, of course, in, in the in the in one of the Psalms, King David, where it says that he would be after the order of Melchizedek. Just a little statement. One day it said that that's how Jesus would be. But here we see this mention of this interesting guy. So go to verse one, chapter seven, and this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, by the way, the forerunner of Jerusalem. Salem being half that word, Jerusalem, city of peace. Um, the Most High, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, 
without descent, descent or descendants, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. So in this little story, all of a sudden we have something that is very much connected to Jesus Christ. And he said here that whoever you give tithes to, the other person is greater. And you'd immediately say, was anybody greater than Abraham? Yes, Melchizedek was. And in a sense, yes, Jesus was. Because Melchizedek is a type of Jesus. Now, I know since I've been in the Lord over the years, I've had lots of speculation of who was Melchizedek. Was he this or was he that? And maybe always trying to link it up with with some earthly uh, person. I just like the way it's worded here. It doesn't sound like he had a beginning. We don't have any record of his death. And what it's trying to say is that this person was eternal, just like Jesus Christ is eternal. No natural bloodline from Adam. Didn't have the bloodline of Adam. So is it a mystery? Yes, it's a mystery. We don't mind it being a mystery. We don't want to make Melchizedek natural because then it really loses its whole significance. He certainly wasn't a descendant of Abraham. No, we know that for a fact because there was Abraham. He was talking to him. And the fact that Abraham tithed him made Melchizedek, that's what it's saying here, made him the greater. So this amazing priesthood was no longer to be connected later on to the Levitical priesthood, but unto this mount Melchizedek. And again, connected to Abraham. The whole story there. There's a lot more on in this in a couple of chapters on that, which I haven't got time to go through now. It's an amazing story. Let's have a look in, in chapter 18 of uh, Genesis. Back to Genesis chapter 18. Just verse 1. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood before him. Uh, when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. I, I wanted to read this to give us some idea of how great this man was and how exceptional he was. And all of us, as I said, we can take a lesson from Abraham. We really can. This is one of them. I'll start verse 2 again. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground. And he said, My Lord, if I have found favour in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray thee, be brought, and wash thy feet, and rest thyself under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread, and comfort, comfort ye your hearts. And after that ye shall pass on. For therefore... Ah, you come to your servant, and they said, So do, and uh, as thou hast said, and Abraham hastened under the tent, um, into the tent, and, uh, unto Sarah, and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd, and he brought a, a calf tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he, he hastened to dress it. And he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Now there's a lot more to the story, just the attitude of this guy. I mean, they were total strangers. He'd never seen them before. He had no idea who they were. But he believed, it's a good one for all of us, he believed that he, they hadn't come to his door for nothing. Maybe in our walk in life, people come across us, 
And maybe now and again you really have that feeling. Hey, it's not by chance that I'm now talking to these people. However that was arranged, what we think of immediately is, can we witness to these people? Can we talk, can we bring up, see what reaction we get at least? Because uh, it's not by chance that they've just come here. Just there in the New Testament again, in Hebrews chapter 13 this time, uh, we see that uh, wonderful uh, recollection of that event. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels, were unaware that they were entertaining angels. And the people that Abraham entertained that day were angels. He didn't know that. When you stop and think about that, Maybe all of us a little bit sort of depending on who a person is on how we react to them. You know, sort of like if it's Joe Bloggs of no, nowhere in particular, we might have a certain reaction. But all of a sudden, if it's somebody of importance in our point of view, wrongly, we react differently. So we sort of, you know, react like, oh, this person's important. Didn't mean a thing to Abraham. They could have been just total strangers, never see them again. And he rolled out the red carpet like he did. So there is a wonderful lesson to us. And the first verse, of course, is to do with brotherly love. And that was a great example of it. Um, let's go back to chapter 20 of Genesis. I want to look at, maybe out of everything I'm saying today, I want to look at chapter 20 because... Um, just a little bit different to all the other stories we have to do with Abraham. And all the other ones, he's a great man of faith, and all of a sudden we have a man of fear. You look at, by the way, I digress from it, you look at some of the great people in the Bible, how often they were great men of faith, and then all of a sudden there was a bit of fear. What about Elijah, when he took on the false prophets, and then when Jezebel, she wanted, wanted his blood, he ran for it. One chapter's full of faith, the other one he's clearing out because he's frightened of Jezebel. From what I know of Jezebel, I think I would have been frightened too. What about King David? You think, oh, he never feared anything. Have you read the Psalms lately? Psalm after Psalm after Psalm where David is bewailing his situation. Where are you, God? And I'm out here in the wilderness and this King Saul's trying to kill me. And, you know, he, he, had, he knew what fear was. And you mostly can think of other examples of great people of faith. And uh, and then later on, there was a moment, usually a moment of fear. Well, this is the moment of fear in, in the life of, of Abraham. Chapter 20, And Abraham journeyed from thence towards the south country, and he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, uh, and sojourned, in, in, sojourned or stayed or lived in Gera. If you have a look at a map later on, you'll find that Gera is in a direct line between Gaza and Beersheba. It's almost exactly in the middle, and it's in a direct line. When I thought about that, I thought of the light horse in 1917 coming up against the Turks. I'm totally digressing here. And the line of resistance, guess what it was? Between Gaza and Beersheba. So that line, whether Gera was still there, I don't know, back in 1917, but it pretty well would have crossed down the main street of Gera. And we're living in the, at that particular time of the Philistines. Now we have so many stories of how the Philistines were the enemy of the children of Israel. You remember, this is hundreds of years before the children of Israel existed and came back from the land of Egypt. 
But the Philistines were already there. Their descendants of Ham, one of the sons of, of, of Noah, along with Canaan and all, a lot of others like that. And at that particular time, it's their country, and Abraham is just a stranger, as it were, wandering with his family and his flocks. And he comes down, he lives in this very bottom part of what we'd now call the land of Palestine in the town called Gera. And it was part of the uh, Philistine territory. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gera, sent and took Sarah. Now he is a Philistine, all right? So that's who you're talking about here. But he happens to believe in the God of Israel, like a lot of the Philistines did. I dare say rubbing shoulders later on with the children of Israel. And God came to, and, and, he, and he took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she, for the woman thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? And said he not unto me, She is my sister. And she even herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffer, or allowed I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou um, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are uh, that are thine. Okay, it's pretty heavy going, isn't it? All happened because Abraham, you might dare to say, did a dumb thing. And why did he do a dumb thing? Because he feared. It was a day not of faith for Abraham. It was a day like, I better be careful because I've got a very beautiful wife. And the local king's going to want her, and once she finds out, he's going to kill me. So he's sort of doing something out of fear and not out of faith. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their ears. And the men were sore afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I, and what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done, which was true. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and thou hast slain me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she is my sister, which she was, by the way. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. I'm not sure how legal that is, but it was legal back then. And it came to pass, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is thy kindred which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. Say, say of me, he is my brother. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, interesting verse this one, Behold, I have given thy brother, Abraham that is, 
a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all. Thus she was reproved. So I thought I'd better look this up, exactly what it's saying in other translations. It really means that, interesting guy, this guy Abimelech, obviously a godly Philistine, which is a rare thing later on, and he wanted her not to suffer any loss as a result of this. That some shame would come upon her that Abraham's wife came into his home and he, he you might say, he paid a price. Thousands pieces of silver is a lot of a big price that it would be, as it were, to cover any shame that was there and that she could go before anybody is what he's saying. And um, the word reprove, we think of being telling somebody off. Pearson is originally meant to vindicate. You will be vindicated by this. So he really was a righteous guy, this guy, Abimelech, a rarity. And really on this occasion you might say Abraham was the one that had done something dumb and God had to rescue Abraham. And Maybe we look through our life now and again when we do something in fear and God has to rescue us. We, we didn't need to fear. We, it all grew up in our mind. We started to lose confidence, and then God comes along and says, you don't need to fear. Have I not said that I'm with you? Have I not said that I'll look after you? And uh, through his method, washing us in the blood of the Lamb and the price that he paid at Calvary, we are vindicated, we are set free, and we suffer no shame, as uh, he didn't want Sarah to have any problem there. And just going on a bit further... In verse 17, so Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his man's maid servants, they, and they bare children. And the Lord, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah Abraham. As Helen said, when I was talking about this coming along in the car, this mustn't have happened just overnight. This might have gone on for quite a few months, I don't know. I mean, otherwise, how would they have ever noticed that? They were not bearing any children. But anyhow, what we do know is that when we do something in fear, we need God to rescue us. And Abraham really was in that category. Um, going to run out of time like I always do. Uh, let's go to chapter 22 because it's such a great chapter, isn't it, on that time when Abraham was tested. And just chapter 22, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, um, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and uh, went on under the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Mount Moriah, by the way, is one of the mountains in Jerusalem, one of two, Zion being the other one, only really little hills, but they call them mountains here. No Jerusalem there at that particular time. And Abraham said unto his son, unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and the lad... Will go, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife 
and they went forth of them together. By the way, we often see pictures of Isaac being just a little wee lad. He could have been even early 20s. There's no little kid. This is a strong youth at least. So um, he's very able to think, what's going on here? Dad's got the wood, you've got that, you've got the knife. Who's going to be the sacrifice starts to go through his mind. Verse 7, And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And here's Abraham at his best. He talked about a little bit of a mistake when he feared Abimelech. Here he has great faith. Great statement here. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which Abraham told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. We don't have any comment from Isaac at this point. I got a feeling that the fingers were starting to tremble a little bit. What is happening here? What is happening? And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Um, I saw him, jumped ahead. Um, verse, go back to verse 9. Came to, play, came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham, oh, I read all that. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So I guess I all can do is visualize that. Isaac is totally powerless. He's bound. He's lying on a heap of wood. The fire's there ready to go. And Abraham picks up a knife, and I can only imagine he lifts the knife. It's, it's seconds, it's seconds away. With uh, what's going through Abraham, we know what's going through Isaac's head. Goodness me, what's going to happen here? Although maybe again he trusted his dad and trusted God. But what we do know is in Abraham's head, he had an answer, and we're going to read that answer in a minute. He had an answer why he went that far. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. We know then there was a ram with his head caught in the thicket. And we also know that that uh, we have the great Jehovah Jireh in verse 14. Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, or the you know the Lord our provider. The Lord provided a sacrifice. Let's go to the New Testament just to finish off today. Do back or back to the book of Hebrews. We've been there a couple of times with the chapter that's all on Abraham. Or a lot of it is chapter eleven of the book of Hebrews, the faith chapter, and we're talking about that particularly today. Chapter eleven. A lot of it is about Abraham. I dare say more than anybody else that's mentioned of all the great men of faith in chapter 11. We'll just pick it up in verse um, 8 of chapter 11. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. I, I think it makes a point of that. If you know exactly what's happening, it's not so much faith involved. When you don't know, and you still do it, it's a little bit like getting baptized and you're not too sure, but you know that the Lord has told you to do it, so you do take a step in faith. It could be some visitors here today that are thinking about getting baptized. Well, maybe like Abraham, you need to step out in faith. 
You know the Lord's asked you to do it, but you don't quite know where you're going. You know it's in the Word of God. It's definitely in the Word of God. You need to be baptised. You need to step out in faith. And you'll get the same reward that Abraham got. God will be really pleased that you took that step of faith. In verse 9, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in, as we would say, in tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So his eyes were higher than even the town of Gera, which he stayed in for a while, when he moved around the land of Palestine and so on. But he, he had his vision of something greater. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. We didn't really go through that today. And was delivered of a child, Isaac, when she was past age because she judged or considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, nearly a hundred, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, as the sand which is upon the seashore, innumerable, all his descendants, both physical and spiritual. It's a double whammy. These all died in faith, having not talking not just about Abraham and Sarah, but the other ones that were listed from chapter 1 onwards. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Again, that is, by faith you do that. And were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That still applies. I mean, the promises of eternal life and the second coming, they're just promises. I don't know if I can put the word just in front of that. But their promises, they're not reality yet. They're only reality if we believe them. And how do you know you believe them? Because you gear up your life in that direction. Everything in your life is that direction. People see you've changed. Relatives are upset by what you've done. Friends disown you. Workmates don't talk to you. And so on and so forth. Because your life is now geared up to a promise of one day the kingdom of God going to be on earth and we want to be in that kingdom. So we, in our mind we lift ourselves beyond this world and, we, and our life indicates that. We get baptised, we receive the Holy Spirit and then we walk in the Holy Spirit rather than walk in the flesh. Okay, there might be a day like Abraham we do something in fear and maybe we'll learn a lesson like I'm sure he did. You don't do anything by fear. You'll walk by faith, as the Bible says, which is so important. Run out of time, but just jump down to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he, not that he had to, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. This is what went through Abraham's mind as he lifted that knife up accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him, as it were, he did receive him from the dead. So that's what went through his mind. He said the promise can't be broken. God said that my son Isaac was going to be the father of a multitude of people. So if I now slay him, can only be one answer to this, he'll raise him from the dead. So that's interesting, he had that much faith that he was prepared to go through with it. And that really is faith. Look, I've run out of time, but I want to finish in James in chapter 2. 
Now this has come out a number of times in what I've been saying and what we've read today. And we thank the Apostle James, the guy who ran the church at Jerusalem, and he put this in his letter, inspired by God, James chapter 2, and we read in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and then it says he was called the friend of God. You know, I don't think you get any greater accolade in life than to be acknowledged that you are God's friend and that God wants to be our friend. What did Jesus say? I am your friend and you are my friends. But you can't get anything closer than that. Not a servant. Servant doesn't know what's really going on, just does what they're told. But a friend, he's brought into the inner sanctum and, and is shown many things that otherwise wouldn't happen. So we can thank God for a man like Abraham. We've only really barely scratched the surface on this great man. But mainly he walked by faith. Maybe, maybe, might have been others, made a bit of a slip up. But he learned a lesson from that. And we can learn lessons as we walk on. We make a bit of a slip up, turn back to God, because he will always rescue us and set our feet on the straight and narrow path again.